Hi, and welcome to Data Futurology. In this podcast, we discuss how data is creating our future. Specifically, we cover applications of analytics, machine learning, and artificial intelligence. We discuss career tips for data scientists on how to lead and create value from data. And also, what are the current and future challenges in data science? In this podcast, we interview current leaders in the data space, such as heads of and directors of data science and data engineering, chief data scientists and chief data officers to find out straight from them what were the lessons they've learned in their careers which have helped them get to where they are today. My name is Felipe Flores and I have over 15 years experience in the data space where I've worked on everything from data warehousing to reporting and business intelligence to machine learning and artificial intelligence. I hope you enjoy this episode. In this episode, we speak with Gabriel Maestu. He is a medical doctor turned data scientist turned entrepreneur. Uh, so really, really interesting career there. And he has co-founded a company called Iomed, and they've built an intelli- intelligent scheduling software uh, for outpatient clinics by creating an NLP engine, engine that reads through the patient notes and prioritizes prioritizes patient appointments based on severity of how the patient is, uh, on the risks, and a bunch of other factors. It's a really interesting episode, and I think for, well, for me and, and probably for a lot of listeners, it'll be a, a, bit, of rea- a bit of a reality check and an eye-opener uh, for the people that are not in the med- working in the medical field, because we talk about so many of the challenges in, in the medical field and things that I didn't know or expect. And there is a lot of work there, actually. Um, so it's um, really, really interesting about the, the different lenses that you can apply data science into medicine with and the different applications that are there, just waiting for people to, uh, to step in and do the work. In this episode, we discuss Gabriel's background and how he went from being a doctor to being a data scientist and an entrepreneur. He tells us about, you know, how to start coding when everyone around you tells you that you're crazy and nobody around you is coding. He tells us how he used data science to validate the learnings that he was getting in medical school. So he was actually getting data, performing data science on it, analyses, and then um, testing the uh, what he was getting taught at university. We discuss electronic uh, health records, EHRs, or sometimes referred to as personal health records, PHRs. And we talk about interoperability and uh, different international files, file standards that have been coming up in order to share data, in, uh, medical data. One of them is the Health Level 7 or HL7, uh, which is a set of international standards to transfer clinical data between software applications. And uh, the other one that we talk about is pronounced FIRE, uh, which stands for Fast Healthcare Interoperability Resources. So it's actually F-H-I-R. And it's it's a new version of, of the uh, HL7 standard that is more API focused. And I'll link the, uh, to both of those on the show notes. And we also talk about economical incentives in the medical system, uh, what the big tech companies are doing in this space, Obviously, NLP and text processing in medicine. And as I said, there's a lot of ground to cover, a lot of challenges, a lot of work there. 
And at the end of the episode, Gabriel gives us a really exciting announcement. So uh, please stick around for that. And I hope that you enjoy the episode. Hi, this is Felipe. And today I'm speaking with Gabriel. How are you doing, mate? Hi, Felipe. Uh, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. No, no. Uh, thanks so much for making the time. I've been looking forward to speaking with you for quite a while, so I'm really excited. And now we get a chance to sit down and discuss your, your journey and all the interesting work that you're doing. So thanks a lot for making the time. Yeah, thanks. Thanks you for the patience. Uh, I mean, we, we've been a couple of weeks trying to 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 schedule this, but yeah, <laughs> we finally did it. So it's oh, it's, so, it's so good. Yes, <laughs> I'm very happy to know. And thank you, thank you for um, persevering. I really appreciate it. Uh, so at at the beginning, I wanted to ask you how how did you get started in the data space? What was it that that pulled you in? Yeah, um, I, I I started. Uh, working as a researcher uh, in the hospital and I have kind of a strange background in that sense I'm yeah. a medical doctor but I got into I got into research I fall in love with all the math all the statistics that I had to learn back then and um, from there I, I really uh, went deep into research much more than I expected. I thought that I would end up being a doctor in the hospital, but not. And that was a surprise for myself. And I went into brain imaging, where that it's an area where you have like huge amounts of data. Uh, you have like really huge data sets. And, and that's where I really fall in love with, with all the maths, all the data, and, and trying to extract value and meaning from them. Uh, and that's why I started like really going through the through the data science world and, and, and learning more and going to back to college, something that I didn't expect it neither, and to study math. So yeah, it's been quite a journey so far. That's that's incredible. That's incredible. And what was the I guess the the early days of you focusing on the data space, on the on that analysis piece? Because you were you were already a doctor or towards the end of, of getting your medical degree. Is that right? And then yeah. you started analyzing data. Um, what was it that you liked about it and that, that gave you that joy? I don't know. I think it was like that, this feeling that um, one of the, of the feelings that I had uh, through all my medical career was that I was learning about uh, the work that others did. And uh, the feeling that I was the one with the data and that I was the one uh, doing the research and I was the one who was extracting new values and new meanings, uh, that, that was something that really um, uh, triggered me and, and really uh, got me into 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 wanting to go further and, and study more about uh, how I can extract meaning. And, and I think it was that feeling that uh, wanting to, to to get to know new things instead of learning what others have done so far. Uh, so from that point, uh, what has your career so far looked like? Yeah, it's been kind of a strange career. So uh, I started the medical school oof, uh, uh, already 10 years ago. I finished my medical school. I got into research. I did very basic research back then, but it was like my first contact with it. We did some classic SPSS in the university that I hated so much that when I when I <laughs> that when I started doing some, some math uh, for for the research, 
I went directly into Python. And, and that was kind of a, a strange decision back then because I didn't have anyone in, on my environment that was into programming, but I hated this space so much that, that I thought it's going to be much easier just to start learning some kind of new tool that would make much more sense for me. So I went into Python back then. Everybody thought that I was crazy. There were some people that was doing R, but I, I don't know. R was not for me. I, I came back later, but, but yeah, back then R was strange for me. And yeah, so from there I I, I continued on research. The thing that I, I went into I went into Python and I started learning how to program. Got the the attention of people who was working with brain imaging, and for me it was very interesting because I was working with very direct data. People who works with brain imaging usually works with uh, MRI data, ma magnetic resonance imaging data. And uh, it's super interesting data because what you see is just your uh, the brain of the people usually and, and all the anatomical uh, uh, features that you can find out. But they also collect other kinds of data. So data about uh, all the um, atomical structure of all the all the parts so you can do very fancy stuff like trying to to calculate all the um, neurons that are in the brain and how all the different parts of the brain are connected with each other and you can create very nice matrices that you can start working on with to understand uh, how the different parts of the brain are connected uh, if uh, you have certain disease how this matrix might be affected and how might be different depending in what stage of the disease you are so so that was something that it was like wow i really want to get into that that's a lot of math i can i, I was enjoying the math that was a great surprise for me, and and I, I really went very deep on that. I started in, uh, studying graph theory and how I could like understand uh, all the clusters that I could find from the different parts of the brain, and that that's what really changed me a lot. Because from from then on, there was a moment that I decided that I wanted to to study data science, and I went to back to college. I did a very fast uh, six-month program uh, in the University of Barcelona, great program that, that it really got me the basics, a lot of uh, basic stuff of uh, statistics, Bayesian statistics, and everything that you might need to know when you want to start in the in the data science field. And I, I loved it so much that, that I decided that I wanted to work on that. And, and I went through a couple of different experiences in a different lab, but in the end, I wanted to solve my own problem. And uh, so I decided to, to start a company. And yeah, at the same, more or less at the same time, maybe sometime before, I started studying math. So, so that's, it's been kind of crazy because I have been an entrepreneur while studying a new career. But yeah, it, it's been great so far and it's been a nice, very nice experience. That's fantastic. I love that. I love the, um, yeah, that the, the entrepreneurship bug is something that, that can't be stopped. I love I love that that it's uh you know when it happens it just happens and whatever you need to do to to do that you do it that's great yeah um, I'm quite sure that there is something in our DNA that that just triggers and it just gets on and you start like being an entrepreneur and you cannot get back <laughs> oh, so true so true I love that tell me so tell me a bit more about the uh, the your brain imaging uh, days uh, what were the the types of uh, 
problems and challenges that you were working on at the time? For me back then, I didn't have so much uh, theoretical um, understanding in the sense that I was coming from the medical background. So I got a, like a very nice understanding of the images that I was seeing that nobody uh, in the laboratory had. So that was super nice because I was able to understand the problems quite easily. So if there was a problem maybe with a patient, it was because they had the disease in a certain point and nobody saw it so far. And those kind of, or, or maybe anatomical variations. One of the things that is quite common in the human body is that maybe uh, the way that uh, something is structured on me might be a little bit different on someone else. Uh, and that's quite common. But sometimes when you are working with algorithms that what they try to do is from an image where you have like uh, from the bones to the soft tissue and you want to strip everything from the image but the brain. If the anatomy is it's a little bit different, sometimes you get like this different part that it's, I don't know, a soft tissue that it shouldn't shouldn't be there. It's not bad, but it's there. So uh, the image, it's different. So so yeah, uh, for me, it was a lot of learning on how to handle so much data, uh, because usually every patient, it's like a couple of gigs of data, uh, maybe 10, 15, it depends. And you are usually working with thousands. So it's not like that huge amount of data but, but like for the first or second contact with a, a big brain it was and it was nice to how to learn to to be able to take whatever i wanted to do and to get it into pieces so i could paralyze and i could start like learning all this stuff uh, I, I learned a lot about infrastructure what blocks were how to move data from around and yeah that that Imaging days, I remember like the days that where I really went into learning like a lot of computer science basic stuff that I didn't know, but it was mm -hmm. super nice because it gave me like the the good and solid uh, basis that I, I I I have right now, and that, that's super nice. That's incredible. And what what types of technologies did you use to solve those problems of the big? handling the big data and doing the, the processing for it. So there the was already this system uh, in place where the uh, all the data was uh, was in the cloud. So what they were, the, the lab was like giving the, the service, we could say like uh, software as a service for all the processing for the imaging. So they had already this pipeline for moving data around, but in the end it was just blob storage in the cloud. Um, they were moving around in that time. So it was kind of crazy. They, they, they were in one provider and they moved to another one. And so I got in the middle, I had to learn one and then the other one, but, but that was nice too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yeah, it was like the, in the end, it was Google Cloud Storage and, and, and a lot of technology because to, to understand the structure, the tree structure of the, of the directories because the, everything was in directories. So we end up developing kind of a, a Python plugin that what it did was like going through all the directories and to understand it, that, that what kind of image can I expect if the directory is, uh, has this structure? Because depending on the machine where, where the, the, the image was captured, the, the output is different. And you have to normalize everything and you have to try to, to get the images like in the same kind of files and to, to, to make it compatible one with others. But you still have to, to be able to use all the metadata that is around all the images, like, uh, yes. the kind of data where, when it was captured, but also like all the configuration of the machine uh, and, and all the configuration that was used to, to do each of those capture. So yeah, it was mainly that. And, and once, I got over all the data handling. Uh, what I did mainly was very basic stuff in the sense that 
I just got like a couple of programs that were already working. I just had to create like a pipeline where I could run uh, one after each other and get the input of one to the other. Uh, there were some bash scripts that were doing that. We moved that to Python too. Yeah, that, that was the kind of stuff. And once we have like the end, the end result, I just did some stuff with uh, NetworkX that it's a graph library uh, for Python. Uh, so if you are like interested on, on, on understanding the graph that you have, and in this case was a graph about uh, how the different parts of the brain were connected. So yeah, that's kind of stuff. And I did some scalar. I, I, it was like my first contact with scikit-learn and, uh, and I used it to just to classify patients. So I wanted to classify patients from for the different types of multiple sclerosis to understand which kind of multiple sclerosis they could have because I want... I wanted to check if the clusters that I learned in the medical college made really sense with what I was seeing in the images. And it was kind of surprising. I didn't have the time to keep on that, but I think that there is a lot of work that can be done there. And I think that in the future, we will see that maybe the clustering that we doctors do in the hospital with what we know and what we think that patients are sometimes might not make so much sense. So, yeah. And what what was the, the hint that you saw that there could be a more recent done in that area that maybe it wasn't as as um, specifically defined yet those clusters I will tell that it's like the the lack of data medicine is not like everybody thinks that uh, everything in in medicine it's like very regulated you we have like huge amounts of data and whatever uh, but that's not usually reality because because when you have to do some research, you need like the permissions of the patient. So usually you end up with small data sets, uh, usually very noisy, uh, depending on the machine that you are using, it's different. So you maybe cannot uh, use the data from different hospitals because they have different machines. And so each of the machines produces different noises. So you cannot cancel out each with other or a lot of problems with this kind of stuff. So I think that there is a lot of work that can be done. There there are very nice initiatives that they have started. There is one that I really loved was called the Human Connectome Project. What they are doing, it's like this kind of how all the brain is wired, like in, let's say, like an, an statistical estimate of the of how the brain is wired and, and which would be like the normal model. And based on that, they want to start like comparing uh, with other diseases. And that's going to be nice to see how, what kind of output they, they get. But yeah, there is a lot of work to be done. It's a super nice area, not very much money. So so it's hard to get into that. <laughs> there is not enough data. So yeah, <laughs> you have to be passionate about it. <laughs> exactly, exactly right. But I, I do agree. It's such It is such an interesting area. And and I've been surprised about the problems around data in medicine. The the little that I know about it is because my wife is a doctor and I and I hear her stories of battling IT systems in the hospitals every day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but from an analysis point of view, there's some obviously a lot of a lot of issues around accessing data as as you mentioned with uh, patient con- um, consent. But also you were talking about interoperability issues and you know uh, the different types of machines. Those are still big issues today what do you think could be done around that or what is being done around that i i can talk a lot about that i mean stop me because if not <laughs> I, I love it <laughs> too much about that uh, it's a big problem it's a huge problem indeed and i think that it's possible to solve it i mean it's not a technical issue it's mm. i think it's more like an economical issue there are so many interests on not being able to like each one has its proprietary system so as long as you hospital are still on my proprietary system, uh, you're going to be my client. 
So the big players in that sense, I think that they are not so interested on giving interoperability. So there are some very nice initiatives. For example, for all the data that might be, can be structured, for example, like all the encounters that a patient might have in a hospital or all the lab results, so that kind of stuff. There are a couple of initiatives. HL7, it's kind of a consortium where they are establishing how the data looks. And there is a new in initiative inside the consortium called FIRE that I have a lot of hope on because it's a very simple, uh, it's not a simple specification. It's really, really long. I mean, it's like, it's that long that you wouldn't do it by hand, that you have like this specification and you have to build all the systems based on the specification automatically because if not, it's kind of crazy. But yeah, it's just JSON and HTTP REST APIs. So that's something that everybody knows about and it's quite easy to learn about. And I have hope on that because the, the, the specifications before FIRE, they were kind of uh, very specific for, for medicine. Uh, HL7 V3 and V2, uh, they had this kind of strange the data formats and, and all, the, all the wiring was done differently. And yeah, it, it was harder. So I have some hope on that, but I haven't seen any hospital around me uh, adopting that interoperability, interoperability layer because the, because they do not see value on it. I mean, the, maybe the doctors do, maybe the hospital does, but 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 the payers, the, like the, the the assurances, or maybe the IT companies that are in charge of of, of being uh, of controlling that hospital, they they might not be because it's also a great way to to move to another system. If you have this interoperability layer where you are able to get all your data out of the existing system, maybe you want to migrate to another one, so they might lose a client, and that's something that that, that it's stopping them a lot. And then the other big problem is like all like you said, like imaging stuff. Um, you have the different brands. Uh, I don't know, General Electric, Siemens, uh, uh, Philips, they, they, they have their imaging uh, machines. They are big. They are very expensive. Uh, they have kind of some interoperability layers, but you never trust them enough for research. So, or if you trust them, you have like to put like a big asterisk in your research saying, hey, we, we mix the data. Be careful. I think the, 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 the mainly problem is economical. It's, it's, uh, it's the lack of, of, how would I say it nicely? Uh, it's the lack of people wanting to to provide these kind of services. The economical incentives mean that people want to keep clients trapped for as long as possible. Yeah, I mean, they are very big and good paying clients. Uh, I, I understand why they do want them in their in their uh, ecosystems. And, but I think, for example, in the US, it was kind of interesting. Obama Obama pushed on that a lot and they, they wanted to have uh, like everybody in electronic health records. So all the data was already uh, digitalized and they wanted them to have some kind of of minimal interoperability uh, and I think that, that that's been nice Apple is pushing a lot on that and really? it's done, yeah it's kind of a strange but it makes sense they have this Apple health application where you have like all your health data and they want to have as much data from you there so what they are doing is just pushing hospitals to to be able to to connect to the application so their patients can see their their data there but also Apple has access to it so it's yeah it's going to be nice to see if if maybe it's one of the gaffas the one that that gets interoperability into into hospitals. I guess in a way you would need that type of market power in order to create that change. Or or it could be grassroots. In the case of data science, at least it's been by open source software that was created by the community that was put into corporations now and every corporation uses open source software now where 
you know, years ago they they didn't want to touch it. But in the case of medicine, it's a completely yeah different different problem around the the acquisition. That's that's so interesting. And can you tell me more about the the electronic health records? First, tell me like how do they work? Uh, what's what's involved? And then we'll we'll go from there. Sure. For those who don't know, that I guess that are um, many of the listeners, uh, electronic health records are just kind of big folders that contain all your medical data. They are usually something that's created in the hospital. They usually have like a mix of files from structured data that might be like uh, your encounters, uh, your lab results, all that kind of stuff, what the doctor writes about you and, and uh, when they are describing your problems. And it has usually also like your all, all your imaging and all that kind of data. It's been kind of messy. Because when the hospital lived, the moment that it was the, the digitalization era, no? like 10, 15 years ago, they started like moving from paper to, to digitalized systems. They didn't do it thinking about the data. They did it just like, let's put a screen, let's put a paper into the screen and, and have our doctors working on a keyword instead with a pen and, and a paper. So they didn't thought about how much data there is there, how much they could, how much insight they could get from there. And, and, and they are kind of crazy. So they are usually systems that they, they are built on top of, I don't know, things like SAP or, or or proprietary systems that are similar and that they are storing like all the data, for example, in raw data, like raw text. So it's just like the written text by the doctor. So there is not much that you can extract from there uh, without doing any processing. And, and also all the data might not might not be on a database that could fit perfectly in a database. But they, maybe they are just files in a huge uh, repository and you have to go uh, yeah, directory after directory. Maybe they change the version of the system and now that file is not compatible. And, uh-huh. and you find out that you cannot open a patient. That, that's something that I have lived. And that's like, man, how can I not open? And the, the 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 health record of this person, and then you have to go downstairs to to the IT systems that uh, the poor guys don't know anything about it because they are the IT systems from the hospital, but the usually usually the ones that have deployed the systems are from uh, a big corporation that it's not in place, so they have to start calling them, and then they they create these kind of scripts where they are able to move. The, yeah, it's. It seems like a joke. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it seems like a joke. There are some systems that they work very nice. I mean, there are some EHRs that are really, really nice and they have been done very thoroughly, but they are so expensive that, that not so many hospitals have them. So maybe like if you are talking about top players, yeah, for sure, they will have like a super nice IT system. They will have this business intelligence visualization and they will be able to 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 go through all the data and understand patterns and look for whatever they want, but they are they're so... I mean, it's just like the exception. It's not the normal thing. And usually the... Oh, all this stuff is thought from the perspective of IT. So if you're a doctor, mm. it's so painful to start like going through those EHR systems, trying to open directories, then open a file, the file as a PDF, so you cannot modify it, then you have to go somewhere else just to modify and to append some text. Maybe it might be just a phrase, but, but what? Uh, you yeah and you have to create like a new record for that uh, and i think at least here in spain maybe when you are visiting a doctor i would say that 50 percent of the time is just spent with a computer trying to uh, like order all the lab uh, tests that i want ordering the, the images like writing down all the text like finding out the last time that i wrote about you or what other doctor 
authors have written about you. And because maybe it's not from my specialty, so I have to go like a, to a different folder. Uh, I don't know. It's not thought from a data perspective. It's like quite simple. No, I mean you have like the, the patient and all the data that it's around the patient. So what you have to create it's just a patient explorer in that sense. That uh, how can I access all that data easily? But no, usually it's not. No, no, they are not built thinking that way, but thinking about, okay, we have this data repository here, we have that image repository there, we have that lab result database there, how we connect everything and we glue it and they just glue it. So surprising that for something so important, it's it's done so poorly. And I think that there's there's three things that, that stood out to me. And the the first one that, that immediately jumped out is the, the number of data types that need to be managed in an electronic health record is very varied. So first, I'll ask you about, about that one, actually. How do you think that it's changed recently as, as we've been able to handle more, more unstructured data, being able to analyze it, categorize it better, uh, what are the changes that you're seeing on the handling of multiple data types that, that are exciting or interesting in the electronic health record? Or or what do you think could be done there? I think it can be done a lot, but I, I haven't seen so many companies trying to push it. I mean, uh, as they are very well established companies and, and starting like, I, I don't know, imagine that you, you see this problem, like a lot of people, and you want to create your own startup trying to solve this problem. It's so hard to get a hospital. It's so hard that they trust you that I think that I haven't seen really like a startup that is trying to create the next generation of EHRs. And and in fact, we tried like in the very, very beginning, like for example, in my, my company right now in Iomet, uh, we, we tried like in the very beginning to see if there was the possibility of building some UI stuff that it could be embedded on the actual systems. But it's so complicated that, that it was mm-hmm. a, a wall that, that it could not get uh, surpassed. So... I think that there is a space to do a lot. Uh, some big players are doing nice things. Uh, Cerner, it's like I think it's the biggest player in the world. They are starting to adapt their products, so they work in this interoperability layer that we talked before, uh, HL7 Fire, and that's nice because they are like uh, letting third-party providers to start creating their own little apps that might be very focused on something. Maybe they are focused on a disease or they might be focused on providing the doctor some new tools, but they are almost the only ones who are just like trying to create an ecosystem around the, the, the EHRs. And there are a lot of wow. data types, yeah, but I think most of them most of them can be structured. Maybe imaging is the biggest problem. I can understand that. And I, I, I mean, you might be generating, depending on the size of the hospital, but maybe terabytes of data every day. So I, I can understand that, that that might be can be very difficult to to handle imaging it's like the best part in that in that sense because imaging has really? their own, yeah because they they have their own standard they have um dicom dicom it's like a way of storing all the data mm-hmm. and they have like these huge headers in the files where they will explain you uh, how the data was captured what kind of data you can expect inside that that file um, all the, i mean there's a lot of metadata that can really help you when you want to create like a processing pipeline in that sense. So imagine, I would say that it, it's not like the biggest problem. Like the biggest problem is to to get those tens of lab machines that you might have uh, downstairs in the hospital 
in the same data in the same database, for example. Each of them is creating the, the data for its own. Usually they have their own database, so you have to connect to it. They might be they might have like different references and it's kind of crazy. Yeah. It's it's painful. It's really it painful. is. It's it's crazy that there's so many problems, <laughs> so many issues. So <laughs> I, I, I I can see that it'd be frustrating for people trying to make a difference that you know, you have to toss up, weigh up whether you focus on one problem, uh, but the improvement might be little because there's thousands of problems, or or then do you try to solve more problems? Obviously, going it sounds like on the processing side or on the storage side, going to the cloud seems like a natural option, but then there's a lot of privacy issues as well. What what, what have you seen on that space? No, nobody wants to work in the cloud. Uh, usually, they they have their their own um, their own machines. Sometimes in the hospitals, sometimes a provider that might be physically near. I mean, they do not trust too much nobody. Hmm. But I don't know how much of that is because they were told not to trust the cloud, and how much is because they do not trust it really. And I think that a lot of times it's because the people who is providing services to the, like the the EHR, for example, usually the ones that are providing the EHR to the hospital usually are the same that are providing the machine. So I can see the business there. I can understand the business there and why they don't want to move to the cloud. We have talked a lot about hybrid hybrid clouds and trying to like open some some doors so you can maybe like a little part of the data can go outside, be processed and come back. It depends a lot on the client, what they want to do, but usually they, they, they do not trust the cloud. They want to avoid it at all cost. Yeah, it, it's limiting too because they might have machines that are already 8, 10, 15 years old. And what do you think is the role of government in that situation? Ooh, if, if I would be there, I would be so, so hard with everyone. I, I would really push everyone into towards interoperability. And for example, it's something that has happened in Spain. Mm-hmm. But it didn't work. Government, like a couple of years ago, yeah. uh, decided that there was going to be like uh, this unique medical record for each person in Spain. And from any point of Spain, you would you should be able to access into your data, and that you should have like this unique virtual you and your. And it didn't work. No, nobody adopted the system. Nobody. But but I think that because they did not put enough pressure or maybe because there was no economical sanctions if you didn't do it. So there were maybe like a couple of hospitals that connected to the system, but that's it. So it was, it's been kind of, kind of a joke. The, the result was expected for 2013. <laughs> that, that's five years ago. Nobody has connected to it. Interesting. And I know that in Australia, the, the government has been pushing for a long time, uh, also for, for uh, an EHR and their so some of the issues that that they found in Australia was the amount of data that was being published to other providers and sent to the government was decreasing in amount or visibility every time. So for example, within a hospital, you would have lots of different systems, lots of different uh, tests, etc. And then what would be sent to other providers would be a small summary, almost like a few columns from that. And then what was, from my understanding, what is being sent to government is even less than that. So it's almost like the information gets watered down or, or summarized and minimized as it goes 
it goes out. Do you see the the same? And, and sorry, and what I was going to say is that I think that that sometimes limits the impact of what a true EHR could do, and I think that that makes people lose faith. Uh, do you see the the same type of things happening in Spain and and maybe elsewhere? Yeah, in Europe, I, I think yeah, it's a big problem. And in fact, one of the things that happened uh, for a uh, reasonable amount of years is that they started like all the machines started sending PDFs. So um, uh, what do you want? Uh, I'm doing a lab result. Okay, so uh, I'm going to throw you a PDF. What do you want to do with the PDF? It's not my problem, but you have there the PDF. So usually you have like these very nice PDF viewers inside the EHR because you, you need them because some, some people is just throwing PDFs to you. And if you want to go into the database, you have to start doing hacking things because yeah. uh, if you do not uh, do hacky things, you cannot access into the maybe the main machine that it's controlling that lab machine and, and you cannot see the database where they are storing everything. You might have like, uh, I remember once scrapping a, a website to get all the lab results from a hospital. Uh, we had, the, they're okay. And, and they were okay with that uh, yeah. if, if we were doing it like through the night. Uh, yeah. So the systems were quite, quite, uh, I mean, there was not too many people using them. So so we could scrap them with ease, but scrap them. And yeah, and yeah we scraped the, the whole site to, to get the database from, from, from that lab machine. Because if not, there was no way to, to get like all the results of a certain uh, laboratory for all the patients in the hospital without doing crazy stuff. Because the, the machine was returning a, a PDF and IT systems were storing the PDF. So you had to or scrap the website or scrap all the PDF. So we thought that it was much easier to scrape the website. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. Wow, that is crazy. That's where I think that 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 company you mentioned before, uh, Cerna, I think it was, that is creating the interoperability layer for their their own products. I think that they're going to have a huge market advantage in terms of innovation from other people, and then they're going to be doing lots of acquisitions, and they're going to be winning lots of market share as a result of having created that ecosystem that I think the other players will move in later, but this first company is going to have a huge advantage on that front, do you think? Yeah, I do think so. Uh, they, they, I think that their strategy is like to create their own app store. Yeah. So the, sa the same way that Apple did it 10 years ago already, they want to do something very similar, but in the healthcare space. Um, they have done some things right, something wrong in that sense, I think. Yeah. For example, they do provide these all APIs. They do provide a way that you can package like your application and get it into the EHRs using Cerner itself as a provider, but they they are making you to to be the one who talks with the hospital. Of course. So you so like you get the contract and if everything is okay, then it's just two clicks and they download your application. But you have to. I mean, one of the nice things I think that Apple did is that you you just have to pay Apple, and Apple is the one mm -hmm. who is getting all the contracts right and, and, and getting the permissions and everything. And I, I think Thernet could be, could do the same. I mean, yeah. for me, it makes complete sense. You, you might take what 15% of 20% of, of the pricing that I'm putting. Well, okay. Maybe I have to, to raise the price, but, yeah. but I think it's much easier if, if a hospital can go to an app store and, and understand, okay, this application might be very useful for me or someone is even asking me for that application. Uh, can I pay for it? Yeah. Okay. So it's two clicks. Therner raised my pace, but it, that's it. There's also the problem of 
who owns the data in this case, right? Because obviously there's there's a lot of a lot of work being done at the moment around you know how can people monetize their data? How can you own your data? Most people think about it online, right? Who how do you how can you own your data online? How can we use things like blockchain to make sure that you're paid every time that your data is used? Things like that. But where that is more needed even more is is in medicine because then if you had control of your data then it would be able to, it would be easier to be able to be moved to providers where you could get a better service in terms of well in, in the end it's about the analysis thank you for doing this work because like, <laughs> we, need, we need more people like you working on on this this is great so the other thing that, that stood out to me when you were first talking about the ehrs was the lack of customer centricity or user focus which which are the the doctors right and as i mentioned before like i hear a lot of stories of frustration from my wife as well and and you know her friends and and why do you think that is and and have you seen any improvements on systems used in hospitals around customer centricity or user focus? I've seen some, but I think not in the hospitals, but in the cloud. I think that people who is really like pushing the, to, to make systems work easily for doctors and that makes sense when you are thinking like a doctor because it, it's different. When, maybe you, when, when you are thinking like the IT systems makes sense and once you understand like IT systems, the actual EHRs make sense, but for a doctor don't. And, mm-hmm. and I I think that people who is creating EHRs in the cloud are pushing a lot in that sense. There are a couple of examples of cloud EHRs that came up uh, lately in, in the US and, and, and they have very nice interfaces and they have, I think, a very nice solutions. I mean, it's very natural for us. We think very linearly about the patient. So for us, it's like the evolution of the patient in the time space and how that uh, patient, that might be like an abstract object, you can imagine with like an abstract object that it's changing through the time. So, so there are very nice visualizations in the, in some cloud uh, EHRs, for example, to, to view the patient as a timeline and to go through the timeline to understand how the different points of the timeline are connected and how you can jump from one to each other. So I think that they are the ones really who are pushing in on that sense in the, in the like the big EHR area, maybe they will buy one of those and they mm. will just integrate the the UI. I think that that makes sense. It's a it's a nice exit for the guys who are creating the the cloud EHRs, and it's a very easy way for the big EHR players to to acquire new new technology. It's not very yeah. doctor friendly at all usually. No. Yeah, but but that's. That's normal, I guess. I don't know. It's very complicated to, to understand maybe who is using your system and because most of the systems were designed like 15 to 20 years ago. I mean, yes. 15 to 20 years ago, there, there, there was not so many people that was aware about the user experience and how important the user experience might be and, and how maybe changing a couple of things can do the, the everyday work of someone. Pleasant or very painful. Yeah. So mm. I think we will see with the time. It's like exactly. always with technology in medicine, we are like 10 years behind. We will see. That's right. Hopefully it moves, it moves in quickly. And yeah, I understand if the systems are so old and you know, that we're just trying to get something out there and not optimize for multiple things like, like customer centricity or customer or user focus and, and or being able to you know, have multiple levels of, of reporting or analysis. They just wanted to make 
at the time, they, 15 years ago, it was just about making operational systems that, that yeah. would work, I understand. Yeah. yeah. In fact, usually from an economical point of view, the hospital usually uh, uh, all the systems are very well designed. I mean, they have a very nice, a very fine-grained uh, control of all the economicals of the hospitals because the CEOs, when, when they were implementing, well, CEO, the directors of the hospitals or whatever the name might be, they usually, when, when they got into the EHRs, one of the things that they really want was uh, to be able to understand uh, more how many resources that were spent and where. Yes. So that part of the systems are usually like very well structured and they are able to do provisions and they understand if they might need to buy X or X, X plus one. But yeah, from the medical standpoint of view, that's it's not there. It's not there. Well, and and neither and neither for the patient. That I think it's it's more important even than us. I mean, yeah, we, we can we can complain as much as we want, but I mean we are giving service to the patients. The patients are the ones who, who own the data actually. Uh, they should be the ones who can access the data whenever they want. Uh, for example, I'm not going to give names, but in most of the hospitals here in Spain, if you want to get your data, you go to like uh, the reception and you ask for all your data and they will print it for you. And if that's not okay, because the, the, like the European law changed and they have to give it to you in a readable digital format. I don't know like the exact term, but it's something like that. Mm-hmm. They will give you just a PDF. Like or a, a lot of PDFs, so just good luck. I mean, yeah, terrible. Yeah, terrible. They give you a C, they give you a CD. I, I remember a hospital they they still give you a CD. It's been I don't know seven years since I I, I did something with a CD-ROM. Nobody else, yeah. nobody has CD-ROM reader anymore. So <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes I, I feel that all these systems take the patients as stupid and they do not provide the, the solutions that they should they should have. Yeah, there's, there's very little focus on the patient. That's for sure. And I think it comes to a point that you raised before or just then around the, the KPIs, the metrics that the hospitals and and maybe even the government is is optimizing for the things that they measure and that they care about are more economical i know that in australia for example they measure things like wait time and how long you spend in the hospital but not necessarily measures around patient care uh, level of service and things like that uh why why do you think that 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 is why is the things that people should think that or think that should be measured. Why are they not measured? Yeah, well, I think that because that, that's because when 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 you are with with a hospital administrator, what they are what they care about it's about the patient experience, but not the medical one. Like the how many time they they spend just waiting, uh, if they had like a good experience or not. So that they they measure, yeah, as you say, the, all the KPIs that they usually want and that they are usually focused on are economical ones. You are, they are not measuring the rest. They are not measuring the, if the patient is happy or not with the treatment, if they are happy or not with that doctor, with that, the other doctor, if they are seeing that they might not be happy with um, whatever, the, the, the nurse that it's treating them or that kind of thing it's now, it's starting now. Uh, and people is starting to to do like uh, some surveys to understand if the if they are giving like the good service or not. But it's something that's starting right now, and we will see a change. Uh, there is a new wave, uh, a new like a thought wave that is coming from 
from the US where all the all the curves should be value value based curves. So if uh, the treatment is working, then the company should get paid more. But if not working, then you do not pay for the treatment. That kind of stuff. So I think yeah. It's going to be very interesting because we are going to start uh, measuring really like the the medical KPIs. So we are going to to really to start to understand if is the patient feeling better or not. And uh, whenever we start like measuring those kind of things, I think that it's going to be the moment where we see a change in the in the way things are handled. But I think that there there must be like uh, the will from from the pharmaceuticals and and all the these kind of companies to change the model because even if the hospitals want to change the model if the if the whole economy behind it, it doesn't align with them they are not going to be able to to get that value based care that everybody is talking about right now but it's going to be super interesting because one of the things that will make is uh, every hospital measure their doctors and how well are treating some kind of patients and if those patients are happy uh, because maybe even if uh, if they if they are not getting better, they are happy enough. Because sometimes you cannot do anything about mm-hmm. that patient. You just help them to be as good as they can be, and that's important too. But 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 the, those kind of things are just very new and not in the sense that they are new. They have done they have been done like forever. But they are trying to see how to connect them into like the economy of, of the hospitals and how hospitals might be affected in that sense. And and one of the things that makes a lot of sense is working with uh, big corporations and big pharma to, to if I don't know, um, to put a very classical example, but if you have a headache and you are taking hypoprofens, uh, if they work for a patient, then you might pay 120 in ex- in and not 100. And if they do not work, uh, you pay 60 or 40. So one of the things that we will see, I think, in the future is pharma doing like risks analysis for that hospital and understanding if they uh, and, and negotiating with the hospital, okay, uh, if it works, you're going to pay me that much. If it doesn't work, you are not going to pay me or you are going to pay me at least this. And I think that's going to be interesting because uh, for doing those risk analysis, you will need to start getting all the medical data into into yeah. that those equations and all the outputs from the patients. So we will start measuring those outputs in, in a sense that we can later on compare and and not just when you are doing research. That's like the biggest problem that we are seeing that everybody is measuring that when he's doing research, but not in, in the real world uh, data that it's history stored every day. And what about the, the sub, there's a subjective nature to, to metrics around asking people for, for feedback. Like in this case, for example, how, how are you feeling? What did you think about the nurse? Things like that. And they're, they're more, Subjective metrics though, that the, the companies might be scared or worried about implementing because they, they can be, yeah, subjective and have a big backlash of people just saying, oh, you know, everything was terrible. Therefore, I don't, I don't want to pay, right? Or, or, or trying to gain the system. What, what, what do you think about those, those scenarios? What? Yeah. I, but I think there are two different scenarios. One thing is if patient is happy or not. So it's more like a subjective uh, experience about going uh, to the hospital through a process 
whatever process it is. And I think that the other thing is the output from like the medical output, like the real medical output. Do I, do I am measuring that this patient is better or not? Uh, do I am seeing less inflammation? Do I am, uh, do I, ha- do I have seen that it's really uh, cured or not? I mean, that's, yeah. I think that there are two different kinds of outputs. So I would understand, uh, like, pharma companies like pushing for this kind of uh, like more clinical outputs and more, much more clinical data that just to value if the if the if the care received by the patient was okay or not mm. rather than the experience because i think that the experience about the hospital the doctor the nurse it's much more the problem of the hospital rather than the, the one from the pharma or yes that's right that makes sense and do you think that having this this data could start to standardize the approaches that doctors take. What I mean by that is that you would have data around the different tests that they did and essentially everything that was done to the patient in the hospital. And then you would have data about the outcome, how good the the patient outcome was and how long they were healthy for. And how do you think that would feed back into the medical process and the doctors and how would that change i guess the the approach that doctors take today by having that that information feed feedback into the process yeah um, if data would be standardized then it would be no problem because then every hospital will have like the same kind of data it's easy you just get the data and do all the analysis the problem is that you need to resolve interoperability first and then start sure. getting but, but there, i'm sure that the reality that we are going to see it's every hospital starts storing this kind of kpis about the patients but everybody in its own format <laughs> no operability will be possible without doing like a lot of data wrangling and data cleaning i hope for the best but uh, i'm quite <laughs> realistic as well <laughs> yeah i understand and uh, yeah definitely so let me ask you about the the analysis side and and the type of analysis that that can be done today and and obviously i want to hear about the exciting work that, that you guys are doing what are some of the applications of of uh, all the analysis that you guys are, are working on and that you see as well when we started the company one of the things that we didn't want to do is tell the doctors what they should do mm. That might be because I'm a doctor, so we might be biased in that sense. But I think that there is so much room for improvement in the way that you can tell me as a doctor, who are my patients that are candidates for something? So maybe you can tell me who is candidate for some kind of treatment or who is candidate for having uh, some kind of disease uh, the next month. So that's our focus area on, on, on helping the doctors to manage better their own patients without telling them if uh, this patient has this kind of disease or needs this kind of treatment, because then you are like trying to judge from the medical sense, uh, judging in about the, the patient's state, but j- just helping them because it's at, at least in Spain, I don't know about Australia, but in France, it's it's quite similar. And and for sure in South America, we, when you are working as a doctor, you are usually like collapsed. You have your 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 yes. agenda is full booked. You have like Completely. a couple, yeah. <laughs> your next month are fully booked. You have no time for nothing. It's very hard to prioritize to understand which kind of patients uh, should be prioritized and, and sh- should be visited first. So that was our approach on, on doing a much intelligent scheduling of the, of the agenda based on the medical data in the, in the sense that, okay, let's find out 
who are the patients that might get this kind of disease or syndrome in the next in the next uh, month, for example. So you can visit them this month and and be proactive and be able to 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 do something with those patients before they get uh, their first symptoms or maybe they already have they get uh, their first symptoms but they were not worried about them mm. so so that's the kind of things that we we are working on and we are working on doing those predictions with the, the data from the hospitals so we try to get as much structured information from it, but like 80% of the information is unstructured. Usually like most of the information from the patient, it's in the medical record, but like in the written part of the medical record. So whenever we visit a patient, we put like all the notes. Patient that visits me with a six hour long headache that it's not reactive to ibuprofen. So I, I might write that sentence that in, all that information is there, but I cannot access it easily, easly. So what we have done is created an NLP machine and an NLP API. I mean, it's just a pipeline of a lot of different algorithms that do very little stuff each of them. But what we do is we extract all the concepts. We do what it's called a named entity extraction named it the recognition and and what we try to do there is understand the, the those entities and the relationship between the entities no? so taking for example the, the example that i just said what we will find in those texts will be like a headache uh, six hour long uh, and we will understand that six hours talking about the headache the, that the medication was the treatment for that uh, headache so we will store all this information structurally so we can later on ask for the database hey give me uh, all the patients that have had a, a, a headache that it's longer, it's been uh, longer than six hours. So we can find all those patients and we can start like extracting uh, all the features that we need to create our, our algorithm, our predictive algorithms. So the idea is that is just to create predictive algorithms about things that help us to manage better the patients using all the information that it's already available. And for that, we do a lot of NLP and we, we do have like, we saw ourselves in the position where we were creating so much data that it was very, very hard to find anything on that. And what we did is uh, we have like a multi-model database where we have, let's say like a graph schema on top of it, where we say, um, this is a cardiovascular disease. Okay. Uh, coronary disease is a kind of, uh, of cardiovascular disease. And we have like this huge tree well it's not a tree it's a graphing but yeah it's more like a big big tree like conceptually where we can ask for the database hey give me all the patients that had neurological symptoms then we got them okay now that i have this selection i want all those that had this kind of symptom and that kind of disease and then we get them and, and we are able to create like all the data sets that we need from that and and we use all those data sets to to create these little models so for example for in the end, after the whole process, for the doctors, it's just a list of patients that they get that they have to prioritize. So for the, the experience for the doctors, it's super easy in that sense, that because they, they see that they are patients that it might have sense to prioritize. And if it doesn't have, it doesn't matter because they just tell us, we put it in the algorithm, we retrain, we get better for the next time. So it's nice, it's a very nice process. <laughs> that is outstanding because there's so much responsibility on doctors and uh, and they are always so busy so f you know like full of work there's so much work that they have to do they're always worried about missing something 
you know, about not thinking about something, not prioritizing properly. It's it's a huge pain point uh, for for doctors. So focusing on helping doctors, I think, is one of the best things that <laughs> that can be done. And getting their feedback as well is is awesome because then you you obviously make it better and better uh, every every time. First, I'll ask you more about the the customer side and working with doctors. How how has that been getting doctors to start to use the system or to give you feedback or to try it in any way? How has that process been so far? Hard, very hard. Yes. Um, we started in the very like. I think it's already four years ago. Um, in the very beginning, we started very focused on the doctors. That was a problem. That was a real problem because we thought that uh, doctors will be the ones who will be able to push this kind of uh, technology into the hospitals. And that's not true. It's very, very hard for oh, them to push wow. anything. Yeah, it's, it's hard for them to push, to push anything into, into the hospital. So we then started working with hospital managers if, mm-hmm. see if they had interest. They had, because if you are able to prioritize better the patients, usually you are able to do some kind of different treatment that it's, it has a lower cost for the hospital. So they were yes. quite happy in that sense. Yes. But usually they are, they are so far from their IT that they saw the potential, but they didn't know how to, uh, how to make it happen. Because uh, we find out that uh, the, the, the second meeting with the hospital managers was always, okay, I just uh, got my IT provider and here we are, the, the three of us, uh, let's talk about how to implement this. And then the, 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 that's a big wall because then you find out that they, the, the, the IT implementer says, eh, I can do that for you. Why, why do you need these guys? I mean, why are you thinking on that you need these guys? No, no, don't worry. I will be the one uh, doing this yeah. for you. So yes. that, that was, that was another uh, big lesson. Uh, it, it was hard, but it was a big lesson. And then we find out that uh, those IT companies were the ones who, if they want to start doing this kind of stuff, they need the tools mm-hmm. and their knowledge and, and the how to do it. And, and I'm sure the analyst that is going to do that needs a tutorial to, to understand the kind of data that it's working with. Uh, the complexity around that data, because I, I mean, medical data, it's really, really complex. It's not yes. the kind of data that, uh, you, you might think like users or clicks or buttons. It makes mm. much more sense. It's much, it's much easier to understand the, the relationship that there might be between the X and Y in, in, in a cursor and a button and, and the, the, the if that patient is buying, uh, that customer is buying or not. Mm. But with the patients, it's harder and it's harder because sometimes the output is not so clear because the output, it, it might be that it, it got better, but it doesn't mean that it was cured and it, maybe it has some chronic treatment, but it was, but that's the positive thing. So you must understand very well whatever you are trying to model to, to mm. understand what kind of uh, positive outputs you might find out. So we thought, okay, let's build the, the, the tools for these guys and let's create the tutorials and let's create all the stuff so they can be the ones who, who provide their already existing customer base, this kind of new artificial intelligence, big data solutions, whatever they want to, to, to call it. Uh, we, we just want to, we, we try to simplify it because they put like a lot of yes. buzzwords into it. Yes. But yeah, we thought, okay, let's, let's create the tools so they can do it like really fast, easily. And, and they can charge their already existing customers. And for us, it's, it's much better too, because we are talking to a, 
to an IT um, company who understands the technology, who understands what, what is doing, what is not. And, and whenever we have to do, for example, one of the main problems is usually like installing all this the stuff into the into the computers of the of the hospital. So whenever you are talking with one of these IT companies, usually they are the ones who are taking charge of this uh, computer. So they are even the ones who install everything. So we just have to provide them the the software and and all the APIs. And it's it's much nicer. It's much nicer. That's great. That's really great. And ah, well done. Like con- congratulations for persevering through that because you know every Every startup goes through those tough times of figuring out, you know, what's my product market fit? Uh, who are my customers? Who is the person that's going to buy? And, and iterating through that, it takes uh, a lot of perseverance. And I am so happy that you're persevere, that you persevered through that and, and found the, the people. Yeah. That, that, that will be willing to move on this because it's so important. Sorry. What were you going to say? Yeah. I don't know. It's still, still work that I mean we are still trying to be sure that that's like the correct model but it feels like it is and and we are really betting for it but we will see if that's also the 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 model it's going to be nice because it's going to be much easier for us to scale and we will be able to focus a lot more on, on on providing the tools so doing data science in in medicine gets easier because it's quite complex I mean it's not the usual thing where you get the, your futures almost done because everything it's already numeric and I mean there's a lot of middle steps and that you must understand and they are quite quite painful. 100% 100% because you, you have to do so much data processing around you know NLP and data preparation data processing creating the features huge mm-hmm. that's that's already a huge huge undertaking it's, on itself yeah and then and then you're doing the prediction using the data that you've prepared from this really messy data, it's huge. Um, and, it, and it works. Yeah, and it works. For me, the amazing part was uh, seeing that it works because in the very beginning, I was like, okay, we are getting so much unstructured data and this little, that this is structure. I really believe the structure one, but I do have to trust a lot myself to believe my, my unstructured, what well, the thing, all the data that I have just a structure. And in the beginning it was hard because I, I, it was hard to believe that you could get and extract all those kind of futures. But, but in the end, I mean, you are looking for trends. So sometimes even if you get like the, the wrong word or maybe the wrong concept, like in the general view, when you are talking about hundreds of thousands of patients, even if you like, if your NLP system fails sometimes, that will like all the NLP systems, it doesn't matter because you get the trends. So if you are able to to choose thoroughly your 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 features, you get your trends, and your trends are enough to to get those algorithms work. That is awesome. That is awesome. And and uh, you mentioned before we started uh, recording that you guys have done a round of fundraising as well, and I think that it's it's great. It's great. I just I love the work that you're doing. And uh, it's it's obviously making great progress and it's being recognized. Uh, you've raised some some funds. You please keep going. It's it's really <laughs> fantastic. Yeah, it, yeah. Thank like I really want to thank you. Thank you for doing that that work because it's so important and uh, um we need more more people doing that type of work. Yeah. Well, at at least we are trying. I don't know where we will arrive, but at least we are trying. So yeah, I think it's important to try. I mean, if nobody tries, nobody will know if there is an answer there. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. That's. 
That is awesome. That is awesome. So I I want to change tact a little bit and ask you uh, some more high level questions um, about, about around your thoughts of of the industry. And uh, the first one I want to ask you is, what do you think makes a great data scientist? Good question. I think that you you need some kind of willing to to like to explore. To, to understand that you are like in kind of data jungle, <laughs> that you need to start like taking out uh, as many trees as you need to find out uh, the treasure that it's hidden in that jungle and that you have to clean a lot and, and you need that motivation because that motivation is key. And I think that the basics are super important. People get crazy about very strange new kind of algorithms to do whatever and get 1% more about anything. And I, I, I sometimes think it's much more important to have like very clear basis to understand what you are doing, what kind of data you are processing, uh, what kind of algorithm fits better, why. Be very careful because for us, for example, one of the things that we find out a lot is we have very unbalanced groups. It's, it's super common to find very unbalanced data in, in, in healthcare. So you might, you, you might see like a 95% accuracy and you might think, wow, this is great, but no, no. I mean, you need, you need much more than just accuracy and understand, well, what, what are you trying to achieve? And yeah, so basics, sometimes it's basics. Basics, 100%, yes. <laughs> it's similar in looking at fraud, for example, where the overwhelming majority of transactions are not fraud. And then if you label everything as not fraud, then you're going to get amazing accuracy with that. Yeah, it's, it can get very dangerous. So that's, that's really good. And I want to ask you about joining data science and entrepreneurship. What, what do you think is important to join these, um, these two worlds together? It's hard. I, it's important because it's, it's kind of a new world for a lot of people. So it, there is a huge opportunity there in, in the fact that uh, a lot of people say that it's doing data science. Uh, I'm thinking on like big, big companies, but then in the real life, they are doing nothing. Uh, like they are just creating like business intelligence hmm. dashboards and, and, and they think that that's data science about because it's data, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's true. So I think there, there, there is a huge opportunity there. I think it's going to, there, there is so many sectors that can really benefit. But I think that to get into be an entrepreneur as a data scientist, it means that you have a lot of domain expertise on it. Or I think at least you should have that domain expertise, or if not, just go for the domain and, and really understand the domain that you are working on. Because to be an entrepreneur is super, super hard. You need really to understand your clients, the needs they have. And, and if you already are in the domain, that's, it's much easier because then you understand the, the pains. And maybe if you do not understand the pain from the beginning, once they, they, they make you see the pain, you will be able to iterate much faster. So yeah, I think it's important, but I, I say it's painful. So uh, be aware what you are doing <laughs> and be brave. I mean, go for it. Definitely be brave and go for it. That is great. And similar and related question. What about medicine or doctors and entrepreneurs? or entrepreneurship, I think, and tell me, tell me your views, I think that it's not very common to see doctors that are entrepreneur and then that, and rare that they, that they join these two worlds and then go on to create a company. Do you see it like that as well? Do you think that's true? And, and why do you think that's the case? I think it's true. Very true. 
And in fact, I think it's a big problem because what happens is that people from outside comes to tell us what we should be doing. So that's, that's a huge problem, I think. But yes. I think it's the result of, I mean, to be a doctor, you, you must study a lot. It's quite hard to get there already. So once you position yourself in the hospital, it's very difficult to, to make so big sacrifices as you need to do, uh, to be an entrepreneur. And mm-hmm. it's very scary. Also, they do not train us at all for the market. We do not, and at least from for me and and the people that it's been around me, like yeah. around like their career or even my teachers, mm-hmm. uh, we have no idea about the market. We do not understand yes. the market. We uh, we do not understand what a customer is, uh, who is paying, even like so so simple stuff like in the healthcare, who is paying. You, you must know that it's it's super simple, yeah. but but sometimes for you the money is coming, so you you you, you are not just worried about it maybe if you start like your own clinical facility then you will start like doing some basic accounting stuff but assurance insurance companies keep paying so you are not so worried about if you want to start a product or something new or a new kind of service it's not so clear who is paying a lot of the times because doctors don't want to pay that that's mm-hmm. something that we usually have very clear patients don't want to pay but that's understandable i mean it's it's already quite expensive to have a good insurance even if it's public so yeah it's understandable so it's quite hard to find the, the market fit and to understand all the all the stakeholders of, of the market so i will say it's because of that and because it's scary the stakeholders understand this and in the market it's very hard and and because usually what we do is we love uh, working with medical data or with patients or with something related to but very related to the medicine so talking about the the market it's something that usually gets the interest of very few of us that's true that's true yeah but but hopefully it's uh, an increasing number and that's that's true we definitely need more more doctors to to get that entrepreneur entrepreneurial gene going and get curious that's that is awesome that is awesome look i could this has been so great i could keep asking you and speaking with you for for ages but i'm going to be respectful of your time um <laughs> so so uh, i'll ask you one last question and and i wanted to ask you for a takeaway for people to think about after this after they listen to this podcast something that they can that they can ponder afterwards something that you would like them to to think about it's it's mostly data scientists people interested in in the data space and what what would you like these people to be thinking about after the after listening to this podcast i think that they are already very aware about how hard healthcare is so i'm not going to to talk about that anymore we have <laughs> talked about that enough uh, i will say that if, if I want them to, to get something, it's that there is room for automation a lot, and there is room for a lot of data science in healthcare. There is room to do very similar things because this is a huge market. Um, people tend to, to forget it because it's a hard market. So if you really like uh, healthcare, I will tell you, go for it. Uh, get around the people that you might need to understand the problem well and and there is a lot of data science that it can be done maybe 
with imaging, it might be with uh, patient data that's on their own phones, it might be, I don't know, uh, it comes up uh, to my mind a, a problem that it was it, that we're trying to solve from like a social platform that it's built with people with diabetes. They, they want to predict the next value of uh, the, that the glucose meter is going to give to the diabetes people. That's a very nice time series problem. So why not? There might be a space there. And for there are so many gadgets that you can that you might want to predict values or or clustering patients or so I, I would invite to the people to go to it because we need to refresh the market and get new people. That's exactly right. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Brilliant note to end on. Uh, Gabriel, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, this has thank been you. absolutely fantastic. Thank you, Felipe. Thank you very much for having me. I, I, I will want to, to tell to everybody who is listening, we are hiring. Right. <laughs> so right. if, if you're interested, please uh, contact us. Uh, you can write me to uh, dev at uh, eomet.health. So write me directly and we will get you into the process. But yes, we are hiring. So if you're interested uh, on working on a lot of medical data, eomet is the place to be. Love it. That's excellent. And I'll put the, the email on the show notes as well, because that's, that is really great. Thank you, Felipe. <laughs> I really thank appreciate you. it. No, thank you. Thanks for doing this work. And please keep going. And, and we definitely need more people working on this. So thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. And congratulations on the fundraising again. That is fantastic. I'm very happy to hear it. Thank you, Felipe. Thanks for having me. Thank you. We'll talk again soon. That brings this episode to conclusion. Thank you so much for listening. Please find us on datafuturology.com or on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn or Instagram as Data Futurology. Also go to datafuturology.com forward slash podcast to find the show notes for this and any other episodes. If you like this episode, it would mean a lot to us if you could leave us a review wherever you listen to our podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that it was helpful and valuable for you. Thanks again and see you next time.